Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and Kurt Levins. Welcome, gentlemen. We meet again. Hello, third hello. Time, third time this week. Is, yeah, third time uh, with the three of us, the and then it's us, like yeah. our fifth podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Plagued with technical difficulties at my end of it, including in posting the podcast. So I'm going to make sure that the full podcast is posted this time. I had to go back and replace the last two because pieces were missing. I'm using some new technology here, and it's uh, been very frustrating, such as life. All right, big, 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 big Oilers news today. Two pieces of news, one that had oil fans absolutely elated, and then the roller coaster <laughs> crashed with another piece of news. So let's, uh, those two pieces of news are the signing of unrestricted free agent Tyson Berry on defense and the signing of unrestricted free agent goalie Mike Smith in net. So um, let's start with the first piece of business which was the Tyson Berry signing. Kurt, what did you make of it? Game changer. Um, for, the, for the first time in the Connor McDavid era, the Edmonton Oilers have a true elite power play quarterback on the blue line uh, to play with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the power play and five on five. Game changer. Uh, imagine how many more pucks will be headed north uh, in this configuration. It's incredibly exciting. Um, there is a question about where you're going to slot Barry in because he's not a first pairing D-man. He's not a true number one D-man. But man, can he move the puck and is he good on the power play? Uh, so, love the signing. Uh, 3.75 million. It's a show-me contract, but boy, that's great, great cap hit. Um, especially in this flat cap era. It's, uh, to me, um, it makes an already dangerous Oilers attack that much more dangerous, even more so than if you had Oscar Clefbaum uh, in the lineup. Love it, love it, and then love it some more. Um, what can he do that Clefbaum uh, can't do at the point on the power play, uh, Kurt? What, like, what special attributes do you think he has that Clefbaum lacks? Well, he's 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 as good of a skater as Clefbaum, and he's 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 quite simply a way better puck handler, puck transporter than Clefbaum. Oscar, look, I, I don't mean to denigrate what Oscar accomplished on the power play. After all, the Oilers had the number one power play in the league, so you can't take away what Oscar did. Um, but he has not had a career like that. Uh, Tyson Berry has. Does he uh, have a better shot? He has a he has a marginally better shot, especially with, with Oscar's shoulder problems. He absolutely has a better shot. And the other big thing, which to me, this is a real change He's a right shot, um, and that really adds a different wrinkle to a somewhat predictable, albeit you know, powerful Oilers power play. Having a right shot D-man of that quality on that power play is that's going to be hard to defend. I I like it every day of the week and twice on Sundays. My my only concern on the power play is I got to appreciate the Clefbaum metronome, which was him with. Like a metronome, tick-tock, tick-tock, proficiency and efficiency, putting the puck either to McDavid, McDavid, or Drysaddle on the half wall, right on their stick. Or Nuge. Every single time. Or Nuge, excuse me. 
uh, on the Nuge on the other half wall. Every single time, right on, right on the money, moving the puck at the right speed in the right spot every single time. And and I think that is that is, it's hugely underrated in terms of that's the success of that power play. Now I, I think the you know, other teams were going to adapt to that. They were they were Chicago started to they sagged and they they gave Clefbaum the shot. And Clefbaum, I think that doesn't work on your power play given Oscar the shot. You're not going to score at a historic power play rate if other teams give you that shot. So Barry I think Barry's probably a like I'm gonna I don't I can't say I haven't watched it enough to say, but um, you know he'll probably be more creative and make better kind of heads up decisions. But I hope he's the metronome. I hope he can get that part of it down as well, and just really uh, give service like a point guard to those other guys on the wing. Bruce, and a, what is you? Go ahead, Kurt. I, I was just gonna add, and the pure fact is Oscar can't play. <clears throat> yeah, fair he's, enough. He's he he's out, and so. I'm yeah. happy to give you all those points on Oscar. I liked him lots too. I don't mean to, again, I don't mean to take away from what he accomplished, but he's not available to them. So to bring this in as a replacement is one plus one equals three. Because really we're, we're, we're comparing, the fair comparison right now is Bouchard and Bear, who are total unknowns on the power play to Barry. And I'm, I'm actually was pretty bullish on Evan Bouchard because he's been an outstanding power player all along. Kurt, or Bruce, what's your take on this Barry signing? Well, the Evan Bouchard aspect is is still very much alive and well in the sense that this is a one-year deal. Yes. Right? It's not like they locked into the guy for four or five years and all of a sudden the road is blocked forever for Evan Bouchard. You know, in a year's time, let's revisit it. So there's that. Uh, there's the contract price, which I'm shocked, frankly, especially if the, if the rumors can possibly be true that he was offered $6 million by some other club and turned it down for three point seven five million for one year with Edmonton sweet, but sweet he's sweet. Uh, obviously looking to raise his stock and maybe go maybe you know the he's looking for longer term in the in the long run or maybe he's just thinking Edmonton's the place for me that's that they, they they've got that power play they're missing their point man they need her you know everything they check all my boxes I'm prepared to to make a little bit of a sacrifice to take that ideal spot for him, I mean, it's a real nice soft landing in terms of after his one year in Toronto where things did not go well. And he scored, after scoring power play points 30 and 25, the, the two prior years in Colorado, he had just 15 power play points in 2019-20 uh, with Toronto. And, of course, slightly shorter schedule, but scored at almost half the rate. So he didn't click there. The way he had in Colorado, and the way I expect all three of us hope he will click in Edmonton. Kurt, you have a point. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing this speaks <clears throat> loudly about is where the franchise is today compared to where it was two plus years ago. Um, in my opinion, Tyson Berry doesn't sign this contract two and a half years ago. Um, Rogers Place, uh, the growth of McDavid, the emergence. Of Dreisaitl, um, I think more and more players are looking at Edmonton, despite the frigid winters, as a real place where their careers can flourish. Uh, whereas before, you can see why you know top-rated players might have passed this market by for obvious reasons. I think that dime is turned now, and I think the fact that a guy like Tyson Berry is willing to come here 
for less than four million when there was more money elsewhere speaks to where the franchise has come over the last two and a half years. So with Bouchard, um, essentially the Oilers have two veteran D-man, Larson and Barry, on expiring contracts this year. And they can watch Larson, they can watch Barry, and they can take their pick. And and halfway through the season, they can they can re-sign one of those two guys if they want to a longer-term deal. And then the other one's gone, making way for Bouchard if he progresses. So so there's that. You know, I here's why I like this deal. I mean, the Oilers were, have been and still are desperate for puck-moving defensemen. As we've seen in the playoffs, it's it's so much a part of the NHL game is having those defensemen who can rapidly transition the puck, make good plays in their own zone, get that puck out of their, their end. And and whatever you want to say about Larson, Benning, and Russell in terms of their defensive fundamentals and defensive intensity, which is all, all good, they are all weak. They're average at best to weak NHL puck movers. And, and I'd say Russell is the weakest, in, well, when he's on his right side. When he's on his left side, he and Benning were about the same, which, which was mediocre to poor by NHL standards. And Tyson Berry isn't going to be that. He, you know, his points uh, production is consistent enough. He's clearly a gifted offensive hockey player who can move the puck. And so the Oilers have gotten rid of maybe their worst puck mover in Benning and brought in a player who might be their best puck mover in Tyson Berry. That is significant for the team. It's a, it was a glaring weakness for the team and they've corrected it. In terms of uh, Barry himself on a one-year deal, I mean, clearly this is a, like, as Kurt, you're saying, this is a huge move for the Oilers being able to attract a player like this on a bargain contract. It speaks of the franchise. And and from my point of view, if I had to pick, if someone said, okay, you could get Oliver Ekman Larson for uh, seven years at $8.2 million, or Tyson Barry for one year at $3.75 million, this is hands down simple decision that I would definitely go with Tyson Berry on the shorter term deal. I, I just, I'm Tyson Berry's statistics in terms of time on ace points in different situations, time on ice in different situations. It is better than Larson's for the last two years. Ekman Larson's for the last two years. OEL has had a slide in play, which may get better or may not, but looking out into the future, that player, I mean, it, it was an okay bet with Ekman Larson. But then you would have to give up other stuff, of course, to get Ekman Larson, which was a, which was the real um, right. kick in the gut. With with him, with Barry, this is just a free contract. So this is like I'm elated. Um, the Oilers were able to improve their, I don't know, top four. Is Barry top four? Like he's, I think Larson and Bear, and Barry are all kind of equal in different ways. They're all going to be getting about 20 minutes a game, I think, in different situations on the ice. But so I just really like this signing over the Ekman Larson signing. Well, I agree with you that that you know what with Barry, all it cost was money, right? There's no yeah. assets going out. To that that from from an asset management standpoint, that's very good work on Ken Holland's part. You and I don't see completely eye to eye on Oliver Ekman Larson, and that's okay. Um, Oliver Ekman Larson is still a serviceable first pairing D man in the NHL. Tyson Barry isn't. Uh, if anything. Um, at most, he'll be on the second pairing, and my friend Bruce suggested, and you might be right, maybe he's better off on the third pairing because as a defender, he's no great shakes, right? Uh, he's yeah. really, from a defending standpoint, he's a third pairing guy, but your first pairing power play player, whereas Ekman Larson was going to play 22, 23 minutes a night on your first pairing. 
Um, but yeah, from a short-term cap management standpoint, while you're waiting for guys like like Bouchard and, and Roberg uh, to come along, uh, I don't disagree with you. Barry and Russell could be killer together. Like they could just mesh so very well because Russell's such a cautious defensive hockey player and and Barry's a good puck mover. So Russell just passes it over Barry. Barry gets it out and and if he doesn't get it out, Russell's there to back him up. It that could that could work just fine. So uh, yep, agree. Uh, I want to go through some of the quotes that other people have given us uh, on Twitter about the Barry signing, and I'll get you guys to react. Let's um, let's start with uh, Bob Stoffer of the Oilers. According to both Darren Drager and Frank Saravalli, Barry took significantly less to come to Edmonton. Four times he has had 49-plus points and five times 12-plus goals. A great bet on a short-term deal. Love it. That one speaks for itself. So we'll just, and it's kind of mirrors what we're saying. Here, here comes a more critical view. This is from analytics writer Mika Blake McCurdy at Ineffective Math, who writes Tyson Berry, one year at four million with Edmonton, is a weak defensive defender without many other substantial redeeming qualities. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Barry is all over the map in terms of quality over the years. Some years are much better than others for reasons that aren't easily explained by his context. Bruce, what do you make of that critique? Oh, um, my cousin Mika, eh? Uh, <laughs> I would say redeeming quality. I mean, this is the last five years in, uh, in uh, Colorado, age 23 to 27. 53 points, 49, 38, 57, 59. So that's pretty redeeming in my view. His career average is 51 points per 82 games played. And, you know, like he scores like over 0.6 points per game, which is, uh, I'm trying to remember the last time the Oilers had a defenseman there, maybe Surrey, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it was uh, in, in that one year. Uh, on the flip side of that, and this is this is just a sort of dip, taking the temperature of the player without having looked in depth uh, since today's news, at least. He's been a minor five years in a row. So clearly at even strength. Now, he's strong on the power play. He had seasons of 30 and 25 points on the power play his last two years in Colorado. And then this past year in Toronto, he actually did have a down year. He just didn't click. And whether that was a system thing or whether it was a, uh, you know, just the setup of the team or whatever, he only had 15 points on the power play. So not much more than half his normal production and only 39 points, which is, which is, you know, you say only 39. That's pretty darn good for the defender. You know, I can tell you how many times the Oilers had a 40 point defender in the last 10 years. And that's one guy. And that was uh, Darnell Nurse in 2018-19. And otherwise, you know, I mean, so this is a level of scoring and offense from the blue line, and clearly that's what they wanted. And this past, you... this past year from Barry, if you look at his post-Mike Babcock numbers, they're, they're way different. From the start of the season to November 20th, he got off to an awful start, never seemed to, to mesh at all with Babcock's system or Babcock's personality, whatever the case may be. His numbers look way stronger if you, if you look at them from November 21st on. Wow. One of the things I notice with people who do this kind of analytics analysis is, and I don't know if this is a bug or a feature, but they constantly just look at even strength play and don't give much weight at all to the power play. And uh, I, I'm yeah. starting to think it's a feature 
it's not a bug because they all do it and they all end up with this kind of analysis and they so they must really believe that this is the way to do proper analysis but uh, I think if you overlook the power play you're overlooking a pretty important game state in the NHL I would also say that these particular numbers that are used these on ice numbers which are five on five numbers weighing shots for shots against essentially and um, sometimes taking into um, consideration the quality of the shot sometimes not um, I, I I think there's some they're, they're worth looking at but if you think you can discern um, the defensive play of particular individual players from this I think that you're probably putting too much weight in these numbers personally I I don't find them to be reliable uh, I think they're pretty reliable in terms of determining the offensive output of forwards if, if they they're on the ice for a lot of shots created and good shots created for a forward I put a, I put weight in that but um, you know it's a five-man game and to blame one player on the ice for shots against I think is an iffy proposition and it can often lead to what I see as overstated uh, commentary on the, the defensive play of a player. So that would be my take on that. Yeah, um, you know, um, I'm one of the first people to point out Tyson Berry's defensive deficiencies, but if he plays in a kind of configuration that we just talked about, I'm less concerned about it. With, with Russell in the third pairing, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a fair comment. I'm not, And I'm not saying he doesn't have defensive deficiencies. There's enough people saying it uh, mm-hmm. who watch him day in, day out. And, and and the numbers seem to go along with that. So, so fair enough. Um, this is from former NHL scout and prospects expert Grant McCaig. And he says, and he wrote this before the Mike Smith signing, the Oilers have been the the clear winner in free agency so far for me. Picked up three very good fits at a bargain price and for the short term. Smart work by Holland. Third line needed upgrading and Barry can run the power play this year. No rush on Bouchard either. Bruce, what do you think of McKeg's comment? I assume that was before the Mike Smith signing because he specifically said three. And yeah. uh, But for those three, I mean, uh, it's clear to me that uh, Ken Holland has put a great emphasis on offense uh, as uh, needing to be upgraded. And uh, he's not wrong. You know, last year the Oilers had the number one and number two scorers in the Art Ross Trophy race, and yet they finished 14th in the NHL in, in goals per game. And so basically all the advantage they had with the big scores, they wasted with the bottom of the roster or with lack of production from the blue line. And in getting this week, uh, uh, tourists and um, bringing back Ennis, who basically is a new oiler with a handful of games here, just enough that, you know, we, we got a taste of him. We know what he's about. But, uh, you know, he hasn't been an oiler for any length of time. And then, of course, the return of Yesipoli Arby enters into that mix, and he, for whatever uh, work in progress he is, his degree of offensive talent kind of shines ahead of a lot of the guys you see on the fourth line on the Oilers. And you got a whole new third line there, basically, of guys somewhere in the gap between the top six and the rest of the team, which is this huge void in between them last year. So I'm writing a post about that. If they ever stop signing guys, I might actually have time to publish it. <laughs> anyway, anyways, they've got, um, uh, now they've added Tyson Berry uh, to the blue line, one of the top offensive defenders in the league in terms of uh, at least production. 
And so clearly that's a, that is an emphasis of uh, Holland this summer that he wants to uh, uh, he wants the team to put more biscuits in the basket. I'd like to jump off the back end of what Bruce just said because it's not like Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are ever easy to defend against. But for the large majority of last year, uh, opposition teams could focus their best defenders on those top one or two lines. Because that's oh, where, yeah. as Bruce just described, that's where all the juice was coming from. Um, now, do Kyle Turris, Tyler Ennis, and Jesse Pugliarvi have to prove themselves as an effective third line? Sure. But is anybody really going to argue that those three players are way better offensively than anybody that was on the Oilers' third line last year? Um, so prove me, yes. But boy, the potential is way better than most players that were never going to produce out of that third slot last year. Yeah, the um, the Oilers last year, of course, and Kurt, this might have been an area where you and I disagreed. I never liked McDavid and Drysaddle on the same line. And by December, it was clear to everybody, including McDavid and Drysaddle, finally, that that wasn't the best situation for them or for the team. And the Oilers then developed one line without McDavid on it, which was the best scoring line in the NHL. And um, should have stuck with that in the playoffs. And then um, they just need to find wingers for McDavid. Um, are they further ahead on that than they were? Maybe they are. If Pugliarvi develops, maybe they are. We'll see. Can he, can he be an Ennis? Can Pugliarvi and Ennis get it done with McDavid? Maybe they can. Um, we, we still, I mean, if you're looking, I saw one lineup today where they had Archibald and Cassian on McDavid's mm. McDavid's wings and come on like Archibald he he looks good he hustles but man that that when he was out there with McDavid last year there was very limited success so I think the Oilers have improved the talent on their forward lines they've given there's more options here with McDavid we'll see how it works out um I'm still actually hoping to see maybe a trade I I think it's too much to ask for we'll get into that in a, in a, in a second let's go to the Mike Smith um let's go to the Mike Smith uh, signing, Bruce. What did you make of the Mike Smith signing? <sighs> they sure seem to circle back in a hurry. Uh, mind you, uh, we're talking about what twenty-six hours from the opening of deadline to when they announced signing him. But in that time, it seemed like about ten goalies got locked up by other teams or traded for. You know th that uh, the market was shrinking. Uh, I'm still hard pressed to think that he's the best name available on the market, but I guess once they sunk the money into Tyson Berry, they thought, well, we've only got two million left for a goalie. We know we can get Mike. Let's uh, and and Curly, the the management and coaches from everything they said last year, and all of their basically all of their actions until the end of the playoff series, uh, they thought more highly of Mike Smith than. Uh, uh, many of the fans did, or certainly those who are uh, 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 tracking the statistics, where Smith has had decidedly indifferent results by uh, uh, by some of the most important measures. But the most important measure to me is winning games, and I know stats uh, boffins uh, don't like um, don't don't. <laughs> You're like mad at me. Win. You're mad at me. No, Bruce, no, I, I'm, I'm term. just I'm just throwing it's it a, out it's there. It's a neutral. It's, it is a neutral. It term. is a neutral term. That's why I'm using it. 
That's why I'm using it. It's good. So anal analytics boffins will look at the uh, 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 that will hate the idea that goalie wins, which is one of the most derided of all statistics. But you ask any goalie worth his salt. What's the most important thing to him? And he's going to say, winning the damn game. Yeah, yeah. Ask Grant Fuhrer that. Ask Grant Fuhrer, yeah. One of my goalie heroes. Grant Fuhrer, he'd be happy if the team would win 7-6 to six and they interview him after the game. You would never know. <laughs> you'd never know that they'd done anything but win that game. And it was, uh, anyway, uh, and Smith had decent results. The team scored more goals when he was in the net. Now, what he had to do with that is maybe nothing or close to nothing. Uh, maybe they played better just randomly, or maybe the team likes him. I kind of got the impression the team likes him. And I, that, that has value. He's, uh, you know, he's got some leadership skills, but uh, I'm not convinced he's the best goalie in a 38 years of age. Now the good news is one year and lower amount, lower base value, lower bonuses. So now instead of two million plus bonuses. It's two million all in. If he makes all of his bonuses, which include the Oilers going to at least the conference final, he will make only two million. And his base rate is 1.5. And from this distance, given how close together those announcements were, Holland made the decision, okay, the money I've got I'm spending on Barry, and uh, I got Smith in my back pocket, and it's time to take him out. Because it was like bang, bang, and both came through. Well, I wonder I, if Ken. Go uh, sorry, go ahead, David. Well, I was just going to make a quick point, quick point, and I'll get back to you uh, for your full take. Um, it it struck me though, Bruce. I think that Ken Holland had. I, I'm just guessing here because I don't think he's incompetent. I think he's competent. Oh. So a competent GM would have. He he had overturned. He had looked under every stone, and so all the all the superior free agents probably to Smith had already signed by then. Right. So I think that's, you know, maybe there's Aaron Dell, I think his name is, maybe there was someone who might've been okay ish, but um, not, not noticeably or better than Smith. So out of the UFA they're, they're they were all gone to the other teams that had happened. I was wondering about the trade market and what I think is Holland probably was talking to Arizona and Columbus and those teams in, in New York, maybe or whoever had two goalies, and if the trade market had been appealing at all, or if he had a couple second round draft picks uh, in his pocket, which he didn't have, um, if the trade market had been a, appealing at all, maybe I think he would have gone down that route. And, and it wasn't appealing enough. Now you could have said, well, why not wait? Why not wait a little bit? Because where's Smith going to go? You know, honestly, where's Mike Smith going to go? Maybe that would have been too big an insult to Smith. I don't know. But just wait. I think he could have waited a, a week here and signed Smith. Maybe something would shake loose in the trade market. That that would be my only thought. That you know, where was everyone just getting a little tired of <laughs> tired of this endless amount of work in the last week and just wanting to sew things up here? Because I wonder, I wonder if things would change with Arizona. You know, with Ek the Ekman Larson contract now weighing heavily on them, do they budge at all? Do they budge in a week? Maybe they budge in two weeks. Maybe you can get um, anti Ranta. For cheaper at that point so that was my only i'm sure that he checked into all these things and mm -hmm. and this is the best option at the moment but things change and i just wonder if he had waited and things might have changed for them and and they would have been able to get a better goalie because smith is his save percentage of the 60 what is it, 67 goalies who have played 30 games in the last two years his he's he's like 57th or 58th out of like he's right at the bottom for save percentage uh of of goalies who have played any amount of time 
He's 38. He's not going to likely to get any better. So, so Kurt, what's your take? My take is this all turned on Tyson Berry. There were three teams in on Tyson Berry. I, I was told by several very good sources uh, that the Oilers were going to be offering under four and that they thought, hey, if the other guys outbid us, the other guys outbid us. And I suspect if they don't get Tyson Berry, they go in a different direction with the goaltender. But you can imagine the general manager thinking there, looking at the pool of players that are in the Oilers' reach. So eliminating, you know, Taylor Hall at L. Um, who was the best player available at that moment in time? Tyson Berry. And when, it, when the negotiations broke their way, and Barry said, yeah, I'll take a haircut to, to prove myself. All of a sudden, Holland said, well, we can't turn down an opportunity to bring in Tyson Barry at 3.75. Let's yeah. go get him. And yeah. at that point, they have a list of goaltenders. And Ken will have gone down his list of goaltenders and said, are any of these guys measurably better than Mike Smith, dollar to dollar? And I'm sure the answer they came up with, which I think, to be fair, is debatable. But I'm sure that's how they would have made the decision. And the other thing I'll add yeah, in is for the yeah. people that are against Mike Smith, there is a bit of recency bias here. Game one of the plan is sticking in a lot of people's heads, mine included. But if you go back over the regular season, this guy did contribute a substantial amount to the Oilers' success in the regular season. I don't love the signing. I'm not going to pretend to. But I can defend it from that standpoint. Here, here's what I would say is I'm a lot more comfortable with the Oilers goaltender situation heading into this year than I was last year, honestly. And this is with both Koskinen and Smith being older goalies in their 30s. It's because Mikko Koskinen played really well last year. He showed to me he's a number one goalie in the NHL. He may not be a great number one goalie in the NHL, but he improved year to year and he, he, could, he could get better again. Even if Mikko Koskinen doesn't get better, if he doesn't like if if he's just the same goalie as he was last year, that's a that's an average NHL starting goalie. You're not and that, he plays. He doesn't kill you. So yeah, and if he plays six out of every ten games, yeah. So I I'm less worried about goaltending than I was last year. That said, I was hoping that they would bring in someone who could challenge Koskinen again for the number one job going forward. Um, that isn't Mike Smith. You know, there I take both. It was, yeah, it was last year. I take both your points, Kurt. Like, I, I think that the goalies they could have got for a million and to two million, um, you know, I just wonder again if they'd been a bit more patient, if something might have shaken loose. But Smith, it's, it is, team chemistry is important. And if Mike's, you do need older players on your team. You do need uh, leaders on your team. If he's one of those, he, and it sounds, you know, it sounds like he definitely was. Uh, a leader on the team and a veteran leader on the team that's important on your team so if they're kind of weighing like let's say it's Aaron Dell right so Aaron Dell the last two years uh his safe percentage is 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 0.899 and Smith's is 900 so they're the same they have the same safe percentage you're weighing these two goalies for the, and they have the same numbers last well of course you'd pick Smith over Dell who's who might be this non-entity in the dressing room I don't know maybe he's a firecracker but we know for sure Smith's part of this team, so I could see why they would make that call. Yeah, and to add on to that, you know what? I think the franchise has maybe learned from a couple of mistakes. I think they realized how much they missed Matt Hendricks when they moved on from him. And from what I heard last spring, uh, they underestimated how much Sam Gagne brought to that dressing room. 
Uh, and there's a there's a certain thing to be said about chemistry. And when you've played the game and when you've been in the room, you kind of understand the extra value that that brings. So moving out a guy like Mike Smith, who who's a check in that column, from someone who is neutral coming in because he's an unknown, I, I think that's a check in, in, in Smith's favor. Bruce, any other thoughts here? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Like Smith is very much more the firebrand than uh, than is more the calm, cool, collected guy. And I think I think they played off each other really well. I like the really like the professional relationship between Smith and Koskinen last year, and they literally were an equal split in the pipes, thirty nine games to thirty eight, wasn't it? That they appeared in, and it was. Uh, you know, I mean, Koskinen's still the higher-paid man, and this year the gap is growing. And I think Kurt's suggestion of 60% for Koskinen uh, is is quite reasonable. Uh, that that seems like a legit split between these two, with Smith aging and Koskinen still growing into his NHL uh, self. Uh, so, if you look at the list, I mean, even the goalies you're talking about trading for, David uh, uh, Morazic or Ranta or uh, Kemper, none of those guys was 1.5 million with, no. a two mil, with a 2 million ceiling. And the guys he could have got for that price, I mean, Arundel, I mean, maybe Jimmy Howard, if you want to go into the deep into the Ken Holland history book, uh, or uh, uh, or else, I mean, as it stands, as of right now, they're over the salary cap. So the idea of going and getting a 4 or $5 million goalie it uh, it wouldn't wash without a bunch of other stuff happening. Maybe they could have like, took the week to try and trade, say Chris Russell, and and have yeah. more for a goalie budget. Maybe that's yeah. the the yeah. thing. Or that's what I'm thinking. Like, could you move Chris Russell uh, to a team that needs to pay less salary for a goalie of the same price? That would be the trade. Let's let's leave off this segment. I did. I'm a, I I put a, a Twitter poll up. And I'm going to, the Twitter poll says, which goalie and contract would you rather have Mike Smith for one year at 2 million or Jacob Markstrom at six years for 6 million per? Mm. So, so far it's just been up for uh, an an hour. We've had a thousand people vote so far. Okay. 67% vote for Smith's contract. Mm. 33% for Markstrom's (laughs) contract. And I didn't expect that. I thought Mm. it would be, because Oiler fans, now this is mainly Oiler fans, right? So so you expect the home team, rah, rah, you know. But the reaction from Oilers fans to the Smith contract was almost entirely negative. And despite that negative reaction to the Smith contract, even with that, really negative, even with that, because if you asked, do you like the Smith contract, I'm sure you'd get 80 90% saying no. Even with that, they, they like what Edmonton's done here better than if Edmonton had gone, if Markstrom had essentially chosen Edmonton, which on a similar deal, uh, Oiler fans have been seriously, seriously, majorly, intensely, ferociously burnt by bad contracts to aging players. Uh, they're all aging, of course, even guys in their teens. But, uh, you know, guys in their 30s, uh, for older players, older NHL players, people are tired of it. We are tired of it. I am tired of it. And we don't want to see it, frankly. So that's, I think that's reflected in this real hesitancy about what Markstrom got in in Calgary, which could turn out to be a great deal for Calgary. 
but also has the easily the highest potential, I think, of any deal signed so far to be the worst deal of free agency. At least it's not a Bobrovsky, which was, I would say, the worst signing of all of last summer. <laughs> Max, oh. Max term at $10 million, and he... <laughs> uh, uh, he really crapped the bed in year one. Of course, he could bounce back, but that contract is... Uh, I think that's the last $10 million contract we're going to see for a goalie anytime soon in the two-goalie era, or the second two-goalie era. But, uh, uh, David, the crucial distinction here, the first reaction was to the signing of Mike Smith, the player, the goalie. Yeah. The second question was about Mike Smith, the contract. Yeah. And the contract and the player are two very distinct things these days. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the cap era, so many people have come to define uh, a player by his contract. They like or dislike a player based on how much he's getting paid versus what they think he's worth. Yes. And uh, in the case of Mike Smith, well, they just, many people just dislike the player. They don't trust him as a goalie, whatever. The reason is, you know, they didn't like his attitude when he played for Phoenix all those years and kept beating the Oilers over and over and <laughs> over again, uh, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I, I think there's some antipathy towards the player, but the contract, you know, compared to many of the alternatives, that contract's not bad. And I make the case, you, you could make the case, I'm not going to make it, I'm, I'll, I'll put it this way, you could make the case that the contract Mike Smith had last year versus his results, was a value contract. At least up to its value contract. And, and, and you know, Koskinen, made half of what Koskinen did. And people hated the Koskinen contract, and it's turning out to be, I mean, that contract mm -hmm. last year, the owners got excellent or good value at the very least on the Koskinen deal. I mean, I don't hear any of the people who were belly aching about the Koskinen contract. Maybe I don't follow them or I block them all. I don't see them... Uh, complaining about that contract anymore if if they are you'd have to ask them why because it's it's turning out so people are wrong all the time of course like fans are wrong all the time and we're we i'm wrong all the time we're all we all get things wrong um some fans are more wrong more often than others is the only david, thing that. david you bring up a really good point i'd like to throw in a point of context in here uh all of us to some extent uh tend to get hung up on a point we we tend to focus on isolated situations and good general managers don't do that. Good general managers tend to look at a roster and understand how everything is interconnected. And Bruce and I were having a conversation earlier on in the day about the composition of this team now. And I think we're going to see a not-so-subtle change in how this team plays on the ice next year. We already talked about the, composition, the different composition of the top three lines that we anticipate. I think that the puck is going to be headed north way more frequently this year than last year. If you think about it, you've got Tyson Berry and Ethan Bearer, who are really good puck movers on the right-hand side, and two good, very good transporters, Nurse and Jones on the left-hand side, with arguably an improved top six. Um, top I think improved top nine, for sure. Uh, top nine, for sure, which is actually, sorry, that's what I meant to say, improved top mm. nine. I think arguably if you have as good a goaltending as you had last year, the team's better because you're spending less time in your own zone. I like the cut of your jib there, Kurt. <laughs> All right. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> is it a sailing term? Um, Since I live on Sailor Road, I'll take the cut of your jib. Yeah, that's a sailing term, isn't it? It's like it is. The jib is a sail. Yeah. My dad sailed Hobie cats, but I don't uh, never got into it myself. Okay, let's talk about let's the final thing we'll deal with is are the Oilers essentially done here? Is that is this it? 
Uh, is it over? And Bruce, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Do you think it's uh, over or is this it? Well, anything that comes from here is a depth signing. I, st I still like I still like Dominic Cahoon. I still like Slater Kukuk as guys that might be useful depth players. I don't think we're going to get them, though. Uh, but in my preview on Thursday night, which is, what, 36 hours ago, uh, I had four white spaces on my roster, a left wing, a center, a right defenseman, and a goalie. And since then, they signed Tyler Ennis, Kyle Turris, Tyson Berry, Mike Smith, and all four of those spaces. Like, I'm looking at the, my roster now, and there's no more white spaces on it. It's all filled in. I'm also looking at a, a roster that adds up to a total cap hit of $81.464 million, which is to say $36,000 under the ceiling <laughs> with 23 players. Uh, of course, the huge wild card here is I've deducted nothing for Oscar Kleffbaum, who seems certain to be spending much, if not all, of the season on long-term in injured reserve. And if he does that, then they still, you know, it'd be nice to have some certainty, but uh, obviously that's not forthcoming anytime soon. And it's not quite the Dustin Bufflin situation where he hung the Jets out to dry last year, but it would be nice to have something a little more concrete on what Oscar's plans are. Uh but if he's out for the whole season, then they're down to seven defensemen. And I guess that makes room for Evan Bouchard, who I, I put Tyson Berry in the Bouchard slot uh, for now. But uh, he's got uh, uh, two guys to sign is the other thing, is that that does not include uh, the contracts for Bear and Lagason. So that's where a lot of the platform money will go, is to, to pay well, could you, Bear. Could you give more? Here's what I was thinking. With you just hold off on what you say to Bear is like we're either going to go one year and you know what you're getting one year, but w let's just wait to see what what's going to happen with Oscar, because if Clefbaum isn't going to play, like if he gets surgery for instance and he's not mm -hmm. going to play, you could say hey, Ethan, no, how about a, how about a four year deal, and we'll give you Clefbaum's money from this year, you know you'll bump up to four million or something like that and you get a longer term deal. And I, is that a possibility, which uh, which might happen? It's still pretty tight, you know, because I, I like literally it's at eighty one point five. Take out Oscar's four million, but you have to pay Lagason and Bear and leave some slush for injured yeah. injured yeah. time. So there's not Even four that, million to give one player. Yeah. But you could say, okay, Ethan, now we can go two years or three years at two point five. And then we'll, you know, we'll bump you again after that. So there, you know, it opens the, the bridge deal yeah. up to a to a, a second year and a nice raise for the guy, which he certainly earned. So, so Kurt, are we done or not? I'm not convinced that we're done. Very brief, briefly on Ethan Barrow. Remember, he doesn't have arbitration rights. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. So I think they can grind the player to an extent, and in, and in a year like this, economically, that might have to happen this year. Um, yeah. Last count, I think they have 15 NHL forwards yeah. yep. under under contract. That seems heavy. Uh, and when you look at center, left wing, right wing, right wing seems crowded. Um, where is everybody going to play? Um, yes, injuries happen. Uh, but you know, if we if we started play right now, you got one more right winger than you need. Um, so sure. I'm not I'm, I'm not convinced that they're done done, but I think they're probably close. Could they trade like Chase on for a draft pick, for instance? Like, you know, what might that be 
something they consider at this point. Sure, but if they don't need the salary, I don't know why they do that right now. You know what I mean? I think Chason is he's he's one of your two wingers on the power play, and proven fairly successful up there. Him and Neil, because um, right now Arch- Archibald projects to be your 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 four right wing, right? Yeah. Kolyarvi, your 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 three. Yamamoto, your two, and Cassian, your one. And you, you might argue swapping those players around. But so where's Chase on there? And there, he... well, that's 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 my point. Yeah. So, but if you put just... Chase on in four, where does Anders? Where does sorry? Where does um um? I I just said his name. Who's fourth right wing? Sorry, Archibald? just gapping. Archibald. Archibald. Then then where does Archibald go? Okay. Um. You, you, did, you, you didn't bring Pugliarvi in to set the press box, or, or surely they didn't bring him in to play, you know, for right wing. Um, so it just feels like something's got to mm. give there. So that's the one thing I'm waiting That's the shoe that I'm waiting for to potentially drop. Bruce, do you think yeah. they're done? Well, Patrick Russell makes sense as your fifth right wing. I'm not sure that yeah. he's not redundant as your sixth right wing, which is basically yeah. how he slots in right now. And he's like uh, seven hundred thousand, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, that's what you want for your for your thirteenth man. Mm-hmm. But he, he's, um, you know, they got they got one more man now. Of course, you're always dealing with injuries, and you want to have NHL caliber replacements. I mean, that's what Alan Quine supposedly was about, and. He's, I mean, he got a one-way contract, so you could you could argue he belongs on the roster right now, or I think he's a tweener myself, and I just, you know, they just paid to have an NHL caliber tweener, but uh, I think they may be done signing, and yet there may be other moves in the offing in terms of uh, of a um, trade, uh, you know, some kind of trade or readjustment of the roster. As well, you know. Here's another thought. Where does where does Jujar Kara play? Well, that's it. Like they could trade yeah. Kara. You know, they. I think they could move Archibald and Neil to left wing. I think they both have played left wing. So um, it depends on Negard's health. But I could see them moving Kara. I think one of the physical players is going to get moved because I think there's a market uh, in, on some of these Eastern teams. They all seem to be crying out for for heavier players right now. So you have Chason and Kara, Cassian, Archibald. Any, you know, one of those guys could easily, I don't think it'll be Archibald or Cassian, but I think either Kara or, or Chason could easily get, get moved right now. And uh, maybe it is just for a draft pick. Maybe, you know, you, you don't want a body back. So it's it's a team that needs, like Ottawa, they need players. They're, they're, 10, they're $10 million under the cap floor. I think I read a tweet yesterday. Maybe that's changed by now, but there's some teams that need to take on some salary. Chase on for a third pick or a fourth pick or Kara for a third or fourth pick. Yeah, I, and can, you know, see, J- I can J- see that. And JJ can play some center. And and from what I understand, scouts have always kind of admired his 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 size. So I, I think there, there might be a taker for him out there. So maybe both. You just never know. Like, yeah. you know, um, I like and I don't. I like Chase on as a player quite a bit, actually. I wouldn't like to see him go. I think he's a fantastic power player. I just love the way he's he he's like filled into that role, and I think he's I think he is a little bit better than James Neal. But James Neal's pretty darn good there too. So it's not like they don't have a guy to play the net front, and it doesn't. It's not like they can't even experiment with like Turris or Pulleyarvi on the power play as well, and go to a slightly different formation now and then. So Turris is interesting, right? Because he brings the right shot. 
Yeah, and Puliarvi does as well. So they, you know, yeah. you can try different things. Both guys can really pass the puck. Um, so, so we'll see. I, I think there's, yeah, probably one more trade of an Oilers forward will be the last. Will be the last move. Would be my bet. Well, any any thoughts that it's not uh, Ken Holland's team now? You can look at that list of six right wingers, and the only guy under contract now uh, that wasn't signed or re-upped by Ken Holland is Kyler Yamamoto. He's uh, in the contract sense. He's the graybeard entering the third year of his entry-level contract because all of, of Cassian and uh, Russell and Chason and even Pugliarvi, all four of them were originally signed by Peter Shirelli, but all four of them have had an extension uh, negotiated through Ken Holland. So that makes them now his guys, at least by my math. And Josh Archibald is the other guy. And, of course, Holland originally brought him in and re-signed him as well. So uh, the, this has sort of got the Ken Holland stamp of approval on the list of right-wingers, and I'm pretty sure he's not trading Kyler Yamamoto. So the second oldest contract beside his is Alex Chason. So all the other guys got signed in 2020. Yeah. All right. Let's leave it there. And uh, I thanks for talking today, guys. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Kurt. It's always fun. It's like this has become a regular thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's been an incredibly busy week, man. Oh, man. I think we got yeah. about 25 posts uh, uh, between Kurt's nine things from last week and his nine things from this week. I think there's something like 25 posts and five podcasts in there. And <laughs> so we've all been working working pretty hard at it. I mean, it's just crazy how they stomped everything into this sort of three-day interval yeah. between Tuesday night and, well, I guess Saturday, so we'll call it four days. But Yeah, we're that busy wow. and nobody's playing a game. <laughs> yeah, for a long time. But for mm. now, we got uh, lots to talk about. Could be pretty quiet in the next little while. Anyway, guys, it's been, f- you guys have done fantastic work all week long and couldn't have two uh, better colleagues. It's just fantastic working with right you. Right back too. at you. Alrighty. Thanks again. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>